Welcome, everybody, to the Latin Card Podcast, episode 28. 28. 28, right? Thanks so much for listening today. We're going to give a shout out to the Chingons of the Week. If you want to become a Chingon of the Week, go to Latinx Guard Podcast on Patreon.com. Patreon.com forward slash Latinx Guard Podcast. So the Chingons for this week are Tim Watson, Francis, Nick Schaefer, anonymous user number one, Jim O'Brien, Kit Touch Fong, Esteban Gonzalez, Jason Roig, Christian Grandfields, I am KMC, Brent Labette, Alex Bez, Leo, Mike Constantiner, Alan Chang, Melon Patel, Oscar De La Cruz, Conga Man, and Michael Baidu BJJ. Thank you so much. You guys are the Chingons of the week. Shout out to our other sponsors for this week. CNB Cafe, best cafe in the world. The and best. I say cafe because they have the best coffee in the world. Ooh. I didn't drink coffee. I don't even I still don't think I drink coffee. He doesn't drink coffee. How do you take your coffee, Ray? So he doesn't. I don't. But in the imaginary mirror dimension world that I do, mm-hmm. I take it o- iced oat milk latte. Ooh. Right? It's like so that. good. How um, about you, Grahouse? Milk- How do you take your coffee? <laughs> I take a, a cold brew, also with oat milk. Ooh. Word. Word. That's the only <laughs> milk that actually exists. That's Hell a supremacy yeah. milk. I'm an That's oat milk supremacist. Okay. Yeah, it's from the Respect. Oak cow. Respect. So, shout outs to CMB Cafe. Best coffee <laughs> in the world. Best baked goods in the world. Best food in the world. Mm. Shout outs to our sponsor, Show Your Roll. Showyroll.com, showyroll.com, showyroll.com. The new um, Rotolo Brothers uh, Ruka Showyroll collab is about to drop. Ooh. Get yours at showyroll.com. Sign up for their mailing list so you don't miss the drop. That's, that stuff sells out like supreme. If you miss it, if you miss the Thursday drop at whatever time zone you were in, then that's it. You're not going to get it. Friday, okay? it's $1,200. Yeah. And you're going to be the lame own jiu-jitsu class who has the lame inverted gear gi. You're, you're just going to look like a loser. You're going to look like a loser if you're not you're in a Showyroll gi. class. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Thank you so much for our patrons on Patreon. Let's get into it. So today we want to talk about an actually uh, prevalent um, topic in our sport, which is weight cutting, right? We were going to do like a competition like part three, I guess. I guess, something like that. Something like that. We're going to do a competition part three episode, but when we were talking about like the things that we actually wanted to talk about in like competition prep, weight cutting was like a huge part of it, right? There were so many bullet points on weight cutting that we said, why don't I just do a weight cutting episode in general, right? There's so many people out there who are oblivious to weight cutting, right? They said like, yeah, I'm just going to stop drinking water for a week. I'm just, I'm going to become a hydrophobic. I'm going to eat a bowl of kale salad and then go to sleep. I'm going to eat rice and yogurt every single day. I'm like, you're bugged out, right? You don't know how to do this. Yeah. Um, So we're going to go over just like the general like topic of weight cutting. Then we're going to talk about weight cutting in other sports because weight cutting is a thing that happens in a lot of other combat sports. Almost every combat sport has an element of weight cutting to it, right? Whether it's water cutting, actual dieting, Right, they all have an element of it, and, and, and then, it's funny because that's it's a pretty modern invention to have weight classes at all. Like when you look at historical records of wrestling, even to like the eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds, yeah. they didn't have weight classes. No, not yeah. at all. And so everyone, all the winners were like two hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes sense. But like, it, it it's funny how ubiquitous it became as quickly as it did. For sure. And then we're gonna talk about weight cutting in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So. You're going to have to wait a little bit to hear our bugged out thoughts about weight cutting in this particular sport because there's actually a lot to talk about of it as a topic, right? To give it some context. So weight cutting in Brazilian uh, in, uh, combat sports in general, like Grahalas said, is a pretty uh, modern invention, right? And all it does is to, it tries to ensure fairness in the combat parody. sport. Yes, because for anybody who's done any combat sport long enough, and weirdly enough, I felt this the most in striking sports, not so much in like grappling because grappling sort of, I guess, I, that's why like jiu-jitsu is seen as like the great equalizer because you're able to manage your opponent's body weight a little bit more right. and it's not being directly thrown at you or on top of you. Because their limbs are isolated on the mat. 
Yeah, and the, and the, the amount of uh, kinetic energy that they're able to produce is uh, severely limited, right? But if you've ever been punched by a 150-pound guy and then been punched by a 200-pound guy, it's very different. There is a difference there. It's very different. I mean, if you just follow like the simple like force equals mass times acceleration, the more mass you add into that equation, the more force you get into the, the end product, right? I that, like it. That yeah. mass starts mathing in the wrong way. Facts. So... Um, there was a, a modern invention of like um, weight classes in the sport to ensure, like Grahalis said, this size parity. Um, Grahalis, do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Oh, well, it's just something where um, there's another podcast called Hair of a Thousand Holds. And a lot of it is about like the fact that if you look through the historical records, you could find like 1,200 different types of wrestling traditions all throughout the years in different countries. Uh, like there's when we talk about wrestling now, there's like five or six different martial arts that are like very popular that you could call wrestling. Like a lot of people would call jiu-jitsu like submission wrestling, for example, or, or judo, they'll call it jacket wrestling. And so it's one of those things where historically, even though we've had all these traditions, normally it's just something you do in your village. Like the people who you wrestle against are people you know. It might be part of like a ceremony or a festival, or it might just be something where it's like a little bit more modern, like the 1800s. It's like, okay, who's the baddest wrestler in this town of 1,200 people? And it's usually the bigger guys. Like when they recorded their weight, it usually they were usually like 180 pounds to like 220 pounds. But you know, in 1820 England, it's pretty fucking big. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't the average weight size back then. And so it's something where like anyone who's, anyone who's done any sort of combat sports, you, you can immediately feel it unless you're like deluding yourself to thinking that size doesn't matter. And there's a few people like that. We've talked about them before. But like as these sports have become more like, I don't know if you want to say professional or organized, where instead of being something that's done communally, it's like, oh, we're going to go watch these two guys wrestle at the carnival. And it became something like, oh, instead of these like wandering wrestler weirdos going from town to town, challenge, say, asking around at bars who's the best guy, they just like sign up on Smooth Comp. At a certain point, when you start adding in all these people, it makes more sense to have weight classes, especially as people get bigger and there's a huger and huger size disparity. If you are, you know, if you're four foot eight and you're 98 pounds, it's it's like a safety issue for you to wrestle with someone who's 250 pounds. Right? Yeah. Um, I think weight classes also allow this sport to be greatly accessible to a lot of other um, people from like different cultures and countries primarily. Just because if you look at the, the people that dominate typical weight classes and look at the countries they come from, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? I don't want to like... Oh, we're about yeah. to go through race war. Oh, man. Right. Warning. Content warning coming. But so start it, talking about the NBA. I'll, I'll, I'll use. The <laughs> I'll use the Houston the, Rockets. We go win the chip at some point. I'll use my own. Um, I guess. Um, well, what's that? Ancestral Heritage? ancestral country as like an example, right? So Mexican boxers tend to dominate the lower weight classes of the sport, right? There hasn't been like a heavyweight Mexican boxing champion ever, right? And if you take out the weight classes, then. Theoretically, Mexicans wouldn't be able to participate in the sport of boxing, right? If you paired up, I mean, uh, Hitler that chubby guy was Mexican. Who against? Yeah, but he was like Tex-Mex. He was oh, like more yeah. like American than Mexican. It, it, is is uh, Canelo? Is Canelo's weight class considered a lightweight class in boxing? I guess so. I mean, like he fights at like middleweight, super heavyweight, and he, there were even talks about like him fighting at like uh, light heavyweight. Okay, and, but even light heavyweights, like it, it was weird when I hear the word light heavyweight. I think about like UFC light heavyweight, which yeah. is uh, uh, two hundred and five pounds, and people cut to two hundred and five pounds, so they're really like two thirty, right? Yeah, that's fair. But light heavyweight in boxing is like one hundred eighty nine, one hundred ninety okay. pounds, which in theory, yeah, it is yeah, light. it's not that huge, right? right? 
Um, and he he ha- doesn't have to cut to make that weight. He has to like gain weight to make that weight. Word. Right. He's trying to like bulk nope, up to no get that abs weight. Canelo. <laughs> yeah, no abs. Floppy bag of milk Canelo. Oh damn. Right. So, um, if if you just had Julio Cesar Chavez boxing against Deontay Wilder, right? If, <laughs> <laughs> like nobody would watch that, right? Or yeah, like only they like would, the, but it wouldn't be a sporting event. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a sporting event. It'd be like the Coliseums, right? Where oh, people yeah. just fed people to lions. So. It just allows um, participants who normally just would get drowned in, like, the size parity of the sport to actually participate, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I think there's a lot of sports where there's this huge genetic component for, like, disc throwing or something like that. Like, you need to have, like, right type of, like, you know, muscle fibers to do something like that. Or basketball is another great example where if you're not a certain height, you just, like, besides Spud, besides, like, the one or two people who you can name who right. are six feet tall, is literally two of them. Everyone else, like the average height in the NBA now is like, I don't know, it's like 6'6 six, six or something like yeah. that. So if you're not really tall and you can't dunk from the free throw line, I, I don't know what to tell you. But if you can, you don't have to be that technically good as opposed to, like like you said, like combat sports or even other sports like, you know, quote unquote soccer. Yeah. Um, I think that this. So in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there is a somewhat exemption to this because they have weight class. Um, they have weight classes in the sport, but. I don't know if they have this in judo, and I definitely know they don't have this in wrestling. They have the absolute division, which is somewhat unique to the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is um, it's an open weight uh, class, so anybody from any weight class can participate. In most tournaments, I think in IBGF tournaments, you have to place a medal in your division, right? So you have to be like in the top four in your division in order to register for the open weight class. But the open weight class is exactly that. There's no weight limit. Or rather, everybody from every um, weight class who medaled in the division could participate in that division. And the, the whole point of it is to find out who actually is the best of the day. Because like I've talked about, this like size parity kind of doesn't matter that much or doesn't matter as much in other combat sports or rather in jiu-jitsu as it does in other combat sports. Right. Like if you take Oscar De La Hoya and Deontay Wilder, I'm, no one's going to bet on Oscar De La Hoya. He's going to be like a minus... No 50 million underdog, right? Yeah. Um, but in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we have seen sometimes where, I mean, I mean shout outs to Cairo uh, Terra, man, master of 10,000 moves, right? So Cairo Terra was actually able to win a couple of um, open weight classes despite being in the lowest weight class in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. And of course, this is a credit to his mastery of 10,000 techniques. This is a, a credit to like the, some of the people that he was fighting in the absolute classes. Yeah, they weren't some like fat bumps. Yeah, they weren't like giant, like worded out <laughs> Brazilians, right? They were like the bag of milk guys yeah. who just laid on top of their he opponents. He wasn't beating Buchecha. Yeah, he <laughs> wasn't beating Buchecha. He wasn't beating uh, Gordon Ryan, right? He was beating like. Um, like the the guy who buys like the the DVD that says a uh, BJJ for chubby guys, right? BJJ for chubby guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like the poster guy for that, he was be- Kyoto was beating him, right? Um, but Jiu Jitsu makes this a little bit more accessible for like the participation of like um, people outside of their weight classes. So this is something inherently unique it, to that. Sport. I think it also one of the things is it inherently the way Jiu Jitsu works inherently reduces the amount of damage you take when you're participating in the sport, and that's something we talk about when it comes to like like training methodologies and how hard you could go in jiu-jitsu like when i train jiu-jitsu i could train at almost competition level intensity and it doesn't take me three weeks to recover as opposed to or i could even compete like if i go compete i'm assuming that i'm going to be able to work the next day yeah and that wouldn't be true if i was going to do a boxing right a boxing fight like if i was going to go fight i'm like i could win and i could break my hands on this guy's face like that's one of the best possible outcomes is i break my hands you know what i mean and that's just not true in jiu-jitsu and so it's I'm not as scared to go, like, I'm someone who does absolute. I'm not super small, but I'm not a sumo wrestler yet. And 
when I compete against the sumo wrestlers, like I've been banged up and stuff like that, but me being banged up is like me spraining my wrist or something like that. It's not like they rip my head off right. with like a head kick and I'm like three inches, I'm like three inches, I'm like three feet shorter than them and they just like rip my head off, you know? Like I just tap, essentially. Yeah. Um, to go into the size difference, when I was in karate school, my shihan at the time, it was just me. He was like, all right, let's, let's throw some hands. Gave me some gloves. But he had, I had the pad on. I was about 10. This man had to be in his 30s, 40s. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wait, wait, fam. So we're going. And obviously, I'm smart enough to know that like I have the padding on. So I'm like, all right, I can take one. I was heavy-handed. I was, a, I was a thick kid. And he was like, oh, that's what we're doing. He made me take the pad off. He gave me a couple good liver shots. So that happened. I was 10. That shit hurt. As a grown man, I started when I started jiu-jitsu, I was doing some MMA. Similar situation, no padding, got hit. There is a difference when a when a bigger person hits you and you feel that, right? Not just because it was the age difference, but at that time there was a big size difference. So that shit, that leaves a lasting impact too for those of you that have never been punched before. Yeah. So what we're talking about before we go into the actual topic of weight cutting is like why these weight classes are somewhat necessary and why they've been established, right? If we're talking about like especially in striking sports, they just ensure the longevity of the athletes. Right. Because right. E even like when you're fighting in your weight class, like uh, taking some repeated uh, impact and trauma to your skull is just not conducive not, to like yeah. uh, anything. Yeah, besides, <laughs> besides yeah. having mushy brain disease. Yeah. Right, unless you want to like have Parkinson's at when you're 35. Yeah. Word. And then another aspect of, of weight classes, otherwise it's gonna be the weight class episode, is that in a lot of ways weight classes are more like a, a frame class or like a height class. Right. Where, you know, I could gain 80 pounds, but I'm not gonna be the same size as someone who's you know quote unquote naturally 240 or whatever right. that would even out to. And so a lot of a lot of what it, what it comes to when you're trying to find your weight class is you're not just trying to find like people who are like close to you and you're walking around weight. You're like, okay, well, if I get relatively lean for my sport, because we're going to talk about it in different sports, that means different things. Like in jiu-jitsu, my weight directly relates to my ability to produce force on someone's body, my ability to like grab their arm and say, give me that, and then they actually give it to me. But in a striking sport, it's like, well, if my partner's arms are like, six inches longer than mine, it doesn't matter if I'm 20 pounds heavier than him. I'm deep shit. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole talk about weight classes, I guess, was necessary when we start talking about like the main reason as to why people weight cut in the first place. Weight cutting is just the act of either dehydrating yourself or quite literally starving yourself and yeah. dropping off body fat or actual body mass. And that's the more dangerous of it. Um, in order to gain a size and strength advantage over your um, opponents, right? Because like Rahala said, people do this a lot in striking sports because if you are of a relatively bigger frame and then if you manage to cut enough of your body fat or body mass off, then you will have a significant like size reach advantage over the people that you are fighting. And if you are a striker and sometimes even a grappler, this can provide enough of an advantage to theoretically like um, sway the contest in your favor, right? Yeah. Now, in... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu specifically, there is a reason as to why certain people like don't really go to weight cutting that often, and we'll get into that later. But I want to talk about specifically and your guys' opinion on, I guess, the advantages and disadvantages of weight cutting in general, right? So we already talked about like trying to be the biggest guy in your division, but other than just like picking up somebody and yoking them out, like can you two speak on like the advantages that you believe are the most I guess, credible to weight cutting and then the disadvantages of like you wanted to talk somebody out of weight cutting. Why don't you start, Jomani? Um, well, 
I'll go off by saying I can only speak from my experience, right? Um, a lot of what I've done is trial and error. I've talked to a lot of people like Rahalis who have that experience, who people that went to school. I've always told people go to the professionals. Um, when it comes to weight cutting, one of the advantages, right, is like for me, I feel like it helps me focus on during my training camp. So I feel like if I decide, okay, I'm going to weight cut, everything is more structured. I'm somebody who works well with you know, when I have a routine, when I have structure in my training. Um, so weight cutting, if done right, it can add to your performance. But it, at the same time, if done wrong, it can take away from it. So I think that like in my experience, a lot of times when I've weight cut, it's helped me um, sleep better because I have to change up what I've been eating, right? Like now I don't eat the cookies every night, right? Like now it's like, okay, I can only have a cookie on this day, you know, and I just start moderating these things. Right, it dials uh, in your discipline. For sure. Um, and all that stuff is like a lot of the pros. Some of the cons, right, have been like some of the mistakes I've made along the way. Sometimes people give you the wrong advice and you don't know any better, so you go follow it. Um, I think that lack of knowledge and lack of knowing how to go about it, it has been is one of the cons and it's something that still is a problem in combat sports because you see a lot of athletes just like like we said right they starve themselves or they just go eat crap or you know their diet isn't really good and then they're out here cutting a lot of weight so i've definitely experienced that and i think that like a lot of the cons are long-term effects right like sometimes when you do these things like i've had you know I've been doing combat sports for almost a decade now, if not more. And due to a lot of my bad weight cutting, it's produced a lot of like body dysmorphia and a lot of like body image issues and things like that. Um, and I know there's a lot of athletes that talk about it, right? But it's still a topic that like, it's almost hard to talk about, right? Like, because it's a little embarrassing for some people. It's just like a very hard topic. Um, but that said, there are pros and cons, but I will always say like, if you don't have the information, then go look for it before just listening to your coaches who's like, yo, I'm going to go lose 10 pounds because sometimes the answer is not to cut weight. Sometimes the answer is just like fix your diet. Right. And right. in that, sometimes you may lose. Sometimes you may gain weight. You yeah. know, yeah. what about you? Go so, well, before I, I'm going to have another question, follow up question for Jamal. <laughs> go for it. Which is um, how do you feel it like so you're talking about the pros and cons related to your training and your health, your mental health, physical health. How do you feel like it affected the actual outcomes of your matches? Like if you've done multiple different weight classes and stuff like that, have you noticed a correlation between doing one class and doing another? Oh, that, and yeah, yeah. good and bad outcomes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I usually go in between feather and light, which in jujitsu, that's like 154 and a half in the gi for feather and 168 in, um, for lightweight, which that's another issue, the fucking separation of the yeah, weight classes. Um, but definitely I felt a difference. Like sometimes I'll feel better when I go in the heavy into wet lightweight but you can feel that strength difference right because now in that weight class a lot of times I'm not I'm not reaching closer to that 168 usually I'm in between 150 you know somewhere on the lower scale and while you feel good like sometimes like they're bigger guys like we talked about they drop down a lot of weight um I've, I've made lightweight yeah like a few times and like featherweight has it's a little bit easier, but sometimes I've cut weight very wrong and it's impacted my cardio um it's impacted like how I how my body processes food, like it fucks up with your emotions. So definitely like it's impacted my performance many a times, but also like from that trial and error when done right, like I go in there and I find that sometimes the answer for me was to go down a feather, but sometimes because my body, I know my body was like, no, don't cut weight for this one. Like, cause sometimes it's gonna have a worse outcome. You and have you, like less slack with your health. When right. You're lower and, in weight. And, and when you start to add injuries, like, you know, fatigue, all this other stuff like that also impacts the weight cutting and how you deal with your diet and all that stuff. So it is very 
tough and we're all human right but um definitely like sometimes it's i feel like i've had more times where i've cut weight and it's impacted my performance rather than when i just go up if that yeah, makes sense that makes sense i mean so i want to mirror a lot of the things you said which is for me the pros were I looked fucking sick when I was cutting yeah. weight. <laughs> well, like, that is, yeah. I was just like, all, I'm like, wow, I'm a thirst trap at all times. My Word. abs are there. Then I could eat food. I could do the pregnant belly thing, and I would still see the abs Word. on my pregnant belly. I'm like, like that's something I only saw in my 30s. I, I didn't look that way when I was yeah, a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was a fat kid. Word. I didn't look that way in my 20s. It's was bag of milk physique. And so that was really cool to see that. And then the other part that was really cool was it was cool just to challenge myself to get really lean, to try to make lightweight. I actually... One time I overshot lightweight. I got down to like 158 by accident. That was crazy. And then I think the coolest part or, or, or the thing that like actually made me think, oh, maybe I should do this again at some point is when I was actually on the competition mats, I was so fucking strong. Like, like I typically compete around 180-ish pounds. Like I'm either doing like, I'm typically doing middleweight in IBJJF, which means like realistically I'm like 176 pounds or I'm doing like I, uh, grappling industries or most of these local, most of these local tournaments, the weight class I'm doing is usually like 185 or 170 or something like that. So competing with guys who are like 160 pounds, they're not going to be as strong as typically as a guy who's like 180. And the other thing is, is like I was going in and I was like really fucking jacked at that time. And some of my partners or my, my opponents rather, they were coming out and they were like, you know, they're like four inches shorter than me. They had a beer belly, and I'm like, this motherfucker's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna kill him. And that wasn't always true, but it was typically true. Like, there were a lot of my partners, the one time where I really over, undershot my weight or overshot that weight cut, one of the guys, like, 15 seconds into the match, he had me in, like, a crucifix armbar situation, and I'm like, oh, he's, this guy's going to snap me up, like, in, like, immediately. But after a couple seconds, we both realized, like, oh, he couldn't break my grip. <laughs> like, I was just much stronger than he was. Like, he was probably, like, more technically skilled at jiu-jitsu he probably knew more about that position than i did but he just literally couldn't break the grip and that's like the kind of the go-to joke when you're showing a technique and one of the students says hey coach what do i do if i can't break the scripts like you're fucked <laughs> like yeah like i could give you advice about how to break it but if you literally can't break it you're fucked you need to break the grip and i, I had like really good outcomes in those matches like that's one of the the best outings i had as a purple belt and it was at lightweight where i just had i just enjoyed this like massive strength advantage because at middleweight i'm stronger than most of my partners and even I've done medium heavy, so I've done a lot of weight classes. And at medium heavy, I had strength parity. I'm like, oh, I'm as strong as these guys. But at lightweight, I was the Hulk. And so that was great. But the disadvantages that everything else fucking sucked. Like, yeah. I was constantly, especially when I got really low, I was, like, thinking about food all the time. Like, I'd be eating food, and then I'd be thinking, okay, well, I'm not finished with my food now, but I'm already thinking about when I'm going to be able to eat food again. I'm like, oh, I had too much yogurt, so now I need to walk around the block for 15 minutes or 20 <laughs> minutes. And then more important, I mean, to me, more important than, like, actually being food-obsessed because it wasn't for that long and I dealt with it was my training quality really suffered. Yeah. Like, my numbers when I was lifting went down. I started getting hurt all the time. When I was training in the room, it's like, first, the big guys who I would train with, like the Iron Ogre and people like that, first, they had to start being, like, really nice to me. And then they were, like, they would ask me questions like, are you okay? Are you sick? What are you doing? <laughs> and then it's, like, the guys who used to be my size – like Quicksilver, he started being like, he started being nice to me. And I'm like, oh man, me and him used to go to the death. And now he has to like let me work because if he don't, like I can't do anything. Like he's now he's like 25 pounds heavier than me because that's what I used to be, but I'm not anymore. And 
then it got to the point where I was just like, and so then it became an issue of just like, well, the reason why, I mean, the reason why I personally compete is because it adds something to my training. Like to me, like competing is like the expansion pack is the premium version of training. It just gives it like a different type of focus. The DLC pack. The DLC pack. But like it made my training worse to, to be that low in weight. It's like, okay, well I'm doing this cause I want to push myself, but like, I feel like shit. I feel like shit. I can't do as many rounds as I was doing before. I can't do the moves I was doing before. I can't train with certain people anymore. Or if I do, I'm not getting real training with them. And so my reps are getting worse. And, you know, there was like good sides to that. Like I learned how to pass in a more loose way and I, I learned different cool things. But like that part sucked. And then it's like something you said. And I, I think a lot of athletes, I've seen a lot of athletes talk about this, which is you could be at a healthy body weight and you could look in the mirror and like, oh, I'm pretty vascular. I'm in pretty good shape, blah, blah, blah. Like logically, that's like 100% true. But it's very hard to not compare yourself to when you were extremely lean and be like, I'm fucking fat. Because yeah. when you get really lean, like, and you like, have vascular quads and all, all right. this type of stuff, or, you know, whatever applies to, like, your body type. Like, women don't get vascular quads when they get lean for the most part. Um, it's very hard to then be at, like, a healthy body weight. Everything's great. You feel great. You look great. People tell you you look better. And even you might even look at old pictures of yourself when you're in that way. Because now I look at those old pictures. I'm like, wow, I was way too small. That's Word. insane. But then you're walking around and you feel that there's like a little tiny bit of fat on you. You're like, I'm a fucking pig. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I, like I lean over. I, I can feel my, I have like a roll and there wasn't anything there before. It was just like muscle everywhere. And you know, people really get body dysmorphia about that. And I think, I don't know about you. I think it's a little bit, I've heard a lot of guys describe it in a way that's maybe stronger than it is for me because like I don't lift weights for aesthetics I lift weights for jiu-jitsu I do jiu-jitsu because I like jiu-jitsu and I never thought I was gonna like my improve my appearance was gonna improve from it but people who but even for me I, I still think that way I still think oh you know damn maybe I should get back to 160 that was <laughs> sick yeah um no I definitely I before um my, I lose my train of thought. The other thing, like, which Grahalis kind of touched on is, like, yo, this affects your mood, too. Whenever I, I want to apologize, right, to all the people that had to deal with me, my exes, my family, when I was weight cutting, I was cranky. I had a lot of, like, anxiety. Part of that was not knowing how to communicate, but part of that was, like, also just, like, not having the food in your system, not knowing how to Being cut. tired. Yeah, and, like, this starts to affect you, obviously, physically, but, like, mentally and emotionally, and not everybody is aware of that. So, like, I, I also want to, you know, reiterate iterate if you're gonna weight cut if you're gonna do something that's gonna affect your body do some research research first right and like don't be so uh quick to be extreme about it yeah. you know don't like if you never did that weight cut before don't say yeah i'm gonna cut 40 fucking pounds right. or something like that yeah so one of the advantages of weight cutting for me was and i think you both touched on this is you just feel so much stronger than the people that who are smaller than you yeah like if if you are somehow doubting this right just any time or the next time that you train, just train with somebody smaller than you. And then yeah. see, like, the actual strength difference or the, the actual amount of physical exertion that they have to put into the techniques in order to control you versus the, the physical exertion that you have to output in order to control them. Right. It's just night and day. Um, now, not saying that if you cut 10 pounds, you're all of a sudden you're going to be Freakazoid Hulk in your division. And all, right. Like, no one's... You're going to be... Um, Touching people with the wushu finger hold, and that's it. You're gonna dominate and win gold. I think that might be a pause. I'm not sure. Because Word. <laughs> there are going to be people in your division who, regardless of that size parity, are still going to give you a run for your money. So you're still gonna to have to train. You're still gonna to have to learn your techniques because other people are weight cutting too. Yeah, <laughs> we're, yes. we're not the only three people who've heard of this. Yes. So that's that's the other disadvantage of weight cutting is that um, when you weight cut, right, you also have to account for the people who are weight cutting in your division. 
dope. It's not just specifically like you found like the magic tome that said if you cut out a little bit of water and if you cut out the rest of retreats, that all of a sudden you're going to win every division, right? You only have two breakfasts and not three, and then now you get to fight a bunch of fat, weak fucks. Like, yeah. That's not what's <laughs> happening. Nah. That's not what happened. Like typically in like the higher divisions, you have to account for the fact that if you're fighting, let's say, in a weight class of 150 pounds. Typically, everybody in that weight class who's serious about competing is walking around like 160 pounds, yeah. right? And that day, specifically, they showed up at 150 pounds on the scale. Now, let's talk about specific instances in weight cutting in each particular combat sport, right? Now, for the most part, in striking sports, and I think universally, um, except for like the exceptions of like wrestling, I don't know how they do it in judo, so I can't talk about that, but in boxing, kickboxing fights, in Muay Thai fights in MMA fights, the universal standard in practice is that both parties, both camps and both fighters' camps and parties agree on a specified weight class. And sometimes they can do what's called a catchweight fight. It doesn't have to be like a regulated, mandated, like universally accepted weight class. Yeah, they're just like, let's do 172. Yeah, let's do 172.8, right? Because that's my, my that's my lottery number. Um, and then they just show up on that weight. But how these procedures typically go about is that people weigh in the day before, and then that gives them sometimes more than 24 hours to adequately rehydrate or yeah. um, supplement themselves with, like, food and adequate nutrition. Yeah. So this is actually a huge difference from how they used to do it, like, back in the day. Like, if we're talking about, like, 1905 bare-knuckle boxing, right, what they used to do is they used to show up after going partying out with your friends, yep. and they used to wait weigh you in right there, and then if you were 205 pounds and your opponent was 209 pounds, they'd be like, all right, close enough, right? Yeah, okay, cool. Okay, cool, that's it. We're close enough. We're both, there's a, there's a two on that scale. We're good, yeah. right? We both start with the two. And that, to kind of add on to your point, um, this goes us to something very recent. So a while back, one championship kind of led the charge into how um, MMA promotions did their weight, um, their weigh-ins and stuff. Um, in 2015, they had a fighter die due to a bad weight cut. Yeah. Yeah. And then two weeks later, they fixed their rules. And then they started making that day before weigh-in. And UFC followed suit, which was like a big thing. And that was only in 2015. So like, this is still like something that is still relatively new and a big change. So there are huge innovations being made to like weight cutting and weight uh, weigh-in practices. Right. I know the UFC, like we talked about in the pre-show, had to make fighters wait the entire day to weigh in at like the giant press conference event. Yeah. Like when every, like on all, all the cameras are there, when all the microphones are oh, there, when Dana man. White and Joe Rogan was there and they're asking, how do Daryl you feel? Hawani's there saying yeah. crazy shit. Yeah. And, and then like your cheeks are sunken in, your eyes are sunken in, you're like, I feel great. I'm going to kill him. I'm and a killing machine. All the while, like, like everything we just talked about, yeah. now you're surrounded by mad people. Oh man. Like all the while you're pissing blood, you're oh. having shit in like three days. Like it's crazy, right? It's like if you look at some of the old Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov, like um, weigh-in pictures, oh. they look diseased. Yeah, right. Well, Khabib had to be hospitalized at one point yes. for weight cutting too. So yeah. did uh, Tony Ferguson. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot so, of people. Um, what they did in order to change this is that they had like a private or more discreet weigh-in where sure they had some cameras, but it was basically like in the hotel back room right. where you could weigh in a lot earlier and in, in on the day. And then when you had to do like the celebratory weigh-in at the end of the day, you already had like eight, nine hours to rehydrate. Yeah. So you look human, right? You don't look like a, like an alien experiment. And, um, you know, these people could be functional. That way, when you ask them, what's your game plan? It's like, well, round one, I really think I'm going to do this. They can and wear cool clothes. They can wear cool clothes, right? And that, all that happens, right? Because yeah. if you look at the weigh-ins now, they're, they're freaking weighing with their sneakers on. They're wearing they don't got like, no makeup on. Yeah, they, they, they wear... They're like barely the, awake. It's like they're a pre-show now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like a pre-show. So 
Th- that really like helped not only improve the fighters' morale but also their performance, right? Because if you give them a couple more hours to rehydrate, then it really allows them to um, be at their best uh, performance, right? But sometimes you see them and you're like, "Yo, how are they in the same weight class?" Like sometimes yeah. is that you can see the difference so, right away. This is not a cure all, right? Of this course, is not of like a, a, a what they call it, a penicillin. Or uh, a panacea. A panacea, right? Penicillin where, is something different. Yeah. <laughs> this is not like a panacea where all of a sudden, like, weight cutting was solved. That's it. We found the equation. Right. Because we, what we found is that when you give people with just more time to game the system, they just make more dramatic weight cuts. Yeah. Right? I remember, like, actually looking at, like, how much weight these people were cutting. And, like, the reason why Khabib Nurmagomedov had to be hop- hospitalized is not because, like, oh, weight cutting's terrible. Like, if you just cut any weight, this will happen to you. It's because the motherfucker tried to cut, like, 40 or 50 pounds. In a short yeah. time, yes. In a very short time. Like, the same thing happened with Tony Ferguson. He had to try to cut, like, 40 pounds. Like, a lot of these, like, instances where you see, like, fighters being hospitalized or, unfortunately, um, be deceased because or in part due to a weight cut is typically because they were also bugged out and tried to cut a huge amount of weight in a short amount of time. Yeah. Right? And Just now— recently, Max Volkanovsky, I think he cut, like, 35 pounds in, like, I don't know, like, 12 days or something. It was, like, yeah. something insane just to make weight because they're, like, they call him up. They're, like, can you make this weight? And he's, like, yeah, bet. But number one, he got knocked out in that fight. He hasn't been knocked out, I don't think, ever professionally. And number two, it's like there's no way you could have, like, quality training when your whole weight camp becomes about starving yourself, running in circles, and, like, cutting hydration out of the equation. Um, I I guess I don't know if this would be considered pushback. I guess in that situation, like, it's also, like, a big opportunity, right? So when you are a professional athlete, while there is a right way to go about it, sometimes I guess these are things. It up. Yeah, like sometimes. And look, like that is Volkanovski's a professional. This is a big fight for him. Is like you're getting paid, you're feeding your family. So there's there's all the other aspects to it. But to your point, one you can see whether it was correlated or not, you can see that that weight cut yeah. had some sort of percentage on his performance, impact on his performance. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. So even the universally accepted like way of like weighing in and weight cutting isn't necessarily the the best or uh, the most ideal practice. Right. So um, I, I want to reference somewhat of a fictional story, right, where it's a it's a boxing story where um, there was a boxer who fought at, I think, like middleweight. Right. But he got the call for a uh, world title match at like junior lightweight. Right. This is a fictional story. It's in like a, a comic book that I read. But. But it, it touches on, like, a lot of, like, real-life, like, notes. Yeah. So the entire idea is that he gets a title fight at junior lightweight, which is, like, three or four weight classes down from what he actually fights. But he's, like, an amateur fighter. He's trying to turn pro, and this is, like, the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, he could say no. Be like, no, I've never fought in that weight class before. That's not my natural weight class. It's going to affect my performance. I can't make it. I can't make it. Or I don't even know if I can make that weight. Right. Right. But he has to realistically weigh out the options for him and say that this might be my only opportunity at a world title fight. If I don't accept this, who knows when my next opportunity is going to be, if I'm even going to get another one, right? Like, it's the... Um, you have to make it happen. You have to make it happen at that time. And the story goes about, like, the drastic things that he had to do for to cut weight. Like, he had to start... um like basically eating dry foods because he couldn't even like afford to retain the moisture that was in like regular foods, Damn. right? He had to constantly like run in like a track suit with like multiple towels underneath his um underneath his uh clothes because he had to soak up all of that water, Damn. right? He's constantly like like people are seeing like his body like just degrade before their eyes, like his skin's getting cracked, his lips are per- perpetually chapped. Um, he has to stop using chapstick because he can't absorb that through his skin. It's like terrible the amount of things that like. Um, weight cutting um, does to your body, right? Yeah. All, all for the sake of like an opportunity. Now, 
who am I to say where these opportunities are worth it? Because the story had, does have a happy ending. He wins the fight, right? He becomes a world champion. But when you weigh out, like, yeah, you had to, you won the world championship, but at what cost? You right. know, like you had to go through all of this. I don't know if I would even say I would go through this, even if I knew I was going to win. Yeah. Right. Because there are a lot of times and there are a lot of times when all you have to do, like the hardest part for a fighter is typically making the weight. Yeah. Right. Like they know, like that's like the, they, they commonly say that that's the first fight to win. Yes. Now, for some people, that's the only fight to win. Yeah. I, I've gotten a bunch of default medals, baby. I'll get them, go get to the absolute, and I go crazy. I'm like, that's what's going on. This is an audio broadcast, and Ray's making a face. Ray's oh. making a face. He's hating on me right now because Ray's a hater because he knows I have all my medals up on the wall. Got my default medals. I got my 10 and 0 medals. Everything. That's not why I'm laughing. Mm. All right, but let's all right. move on. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about is, um, so we, we already talked about how weight cutting or weight class and weight cutting works in like other sports, right? Where you weigh in, you get typically get 24 hours and that whole song and dance on like why that's good and why that's bad. But now we're going to talk about like more niche and like esoteric ways of like weigh-ins, which is like one of the wrestling ways to weigh in. I know they weigh in like the morning of. Yes. Right. And now this has its pros and cons as well, right? When you're in wrestling and we talked about like the strength and size parity because this type of like weigh-in that we talked about in MMA just wouldn't work for like grappling sports, right? right? If you if you sign up for 155 pounds and you weigh in the day before, you're 155 pounds, that's your natural weigh-in, and then you compete the next day and all of a sudden your opponent you're staring at is a little fucking ogre, like so, because he got 40 pounds to make that weight class, you're you're not in for like a good day. Now you're the five uh, five million uh I know underdog. Yeah, that actually happens at Naga sometimes because they'll let you weigh in the night before. Yeah. But that means you got to drive out to Jersey two times in yeah, one week and fuck that. Yeah. So in wrestling, what they do is that they weigh in the day of in order to ensure or try to minimize like weight cutting practices. So this kind of helps, but people are still going to weight cut. Right. So people are going to still uh, weight cut, right? They're just going to not do as dramatic of a weight cut. Right. right. And they're still going to find time in between their matches or before their matches to rehydrate. Yeah. So... I know that wrestling also does a practice where at the beginning of the season, you visit, I don't know if he's a doctor, if he's a nutritionist, if he's just a coach's friend. Um, I can't speak for all of them. When I was in wrestling, they got the doctor to come to our school okay. and we all did the test. But Great. So the test that Giovanni is specifically referring to is like a hydration test, or I don't know if it's like a body fat percentage test, but what they tell you, what the doctor tells you is that he gives you a weight after inspecting you, like expecting your body fat percentage, maybe slight aerobic endurance. And he just tells you this is the minimum weight that you can fight at, right? So if you're 140 pounds, I guess the example that Giovanni told me in the pre-show, he might have been walking around 140, 150 pounds. And then he said the minimum weight class that you can participate in is 119 pounds. Right. Now, sometimes they do overshoot this because they know wrestlers are going to cut anyway and they don't want to complain that, oh, the doctor screwed me over at the beginning of like the season. We have, to, we have to end this practice. Yeah, yeah. Do Dr. Leibowitz, like, <laughs> he didn't give me the number that I wanted. <laughs> right. I'm going to talk to coach. We're going to fire Dr. Leibowitz, right? So... The whole point why they do this and why they kind of overshoot this is because it's kind of hard in your mind to think, like, I'm 150 pounds. When am I ever going to be 119 pounds? Right. But there are still athletes who do this. Yeah. Like, there are plenty of, like, MMA athletes and wrestlers who always talk about, like, when they're off-season, they're, like, big fatos. Yes. Right? Like, if you saw them when they were in-season or when they were off-season, you wouldn't recognize them as the same person. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that because when you actually see these guys out of season— it's clear that a lot of times it's like a mental health issue in two ways. Number one, they're like a completely normal size. They're like in great shape when you compare them to the average person. But they just, again, they have that body dysmorphia from having been super lean. 
and then having to be, okay, well, I'm really lean when I'm whatever, 170. And now I'm walking around, I'm 195. I still have abs, but I'm, I don't, I'm not striated. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have eating disorders where these motherfuckers like actually blow up and they'll gain like 30 or 40 pounds and they got the full cheeks and, and they're pregnant and it's crazy. That is a fact. When I was in wrestling off season, I was like 150. In season, I would go as low as like 128. At a, at a less, in less than 24 hours, I cut like 15 pounds. Um, I say that to say, much to what Grahals was saying, what I was eating, like during the season, I would eat maybe twice a day, right? And then that's not normal. Like I would literally stuff myself because in my head, I was like, oh, I can't eat past 3 p.m. or else I'm gonna gain that weight and I would be heavy for practice. So I would literally have like, not even a full pregnant, it's just like that top half because you, I ate so much, it was like- it was Literally in your stomach, it was, not even in your Yeah, guts. like it would, and then, you know, you'd go through these stomach aches and you're like, all right, well, once this passes, then it's done, right? But that's obviously not very healthy. Yeah. Um, so wrestling is probably the closest sport as to how they do it right. towards professional jiu-jitsu. Um, professional jiu-jitsu does not have this like this hydration or minimum weight test um, because there's no like specific governing body in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. Like in America, at least, they have the NCAA. So I'm guessing that a lot of these doctors have to report these weight classes to the NCAA. Yeah. So they, if they say like, oh... Um, Max Jordanson, his minimum weight class is 119 pounds, and he tried to sign up for the 160-pound division. No, Paro, you can't do that, right? Yeah. Dr. Lebowitz said you can't do that. Um, in IBJF, this isn't the case, right? If you want to fight in any weight class, you could totally do that. Like, right. um, I don't know if they allow this in wrestling, but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is super weird because I know people who typically fight at like 150 pounds, and then they try to sign up for like 180-pound division, and they're like, yeah. I was going to break up that story. Yeah, go ahead, do it. Go yeah. ahead. One, of yeah. our, one of our friends did that recently where it's like he walks around like 150-ish, he went to compete and was essentially the 190 division. And he weighs in and the guy looks at the screen and then he looks at the weight and he looks at the screen and he's like, medium, heavy. No, 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 no. Like he's like, it, the guy acted like he wanted to disqualify him and say, no, we can't allow you to compete 40 pounds underweight at, in this division. That's insane. You're going to get hurt. But at the same time, the, the rule book doesn't give him the authority to do that. And then, you know, our friend, he just like made a joke and he played it off and they're like, okay, cool, whatever, go have fun. But they'll let you do it. And then there's like other famous examples. Like I think there was a few times where, I mean, this has happened before. Like Dante Leon recently competed at like super heavy or something like yeah. that. Or AJ Agazarn's done that. Musumeshi Musumeshi. Yeah. Lucas Lechi has done that. And to go back to one of the previous points, that's one of those things where these guys who are they're pretty good. They're looking at the bracket and they're like, man, these guys are fucking bumps. I can get them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu finally, right? So the way that um, weigh-in practices work in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that you have to show up at a specific time for your division starting. They typically like give you like a like an hour. They typically give you a warning like you should show up an hour before your match starts, mm -hmm. and you know that the day before, either a couple of days before, like you're supposed to fight, and you can't even weigh in as soon as you get there. There's a specific weigh-in time. Um, that's color coordinated on this giant screen as soon as you get to the venue. This is giving me PTSD flashbacks, by the way. This is giving me flashbacks. I'm getting triggered. So <laughs> you go in, you see your names in yellow. That means like you can't weigh in yet, but then you see your names in red, and that's like you have to weigh in now. You have to weigh in now. Go and now, right now. When you go to weigh in, um, you weigh in with the uniform on, which is something specific to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's yeah. something specific to IBJJF for the most part. Yeah. Like oh, grappling oh. industries, like these local promotions yeah. don't do that. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff is specific to IBJJF. Um, however, there is a, tr a tip. Like, you just have to wait till your name comes on the screen. So if you're doing an IBJJF tournament, yeah. don't, don't let them lie to you and be like, no, your name has to be. No, as soon as that name's on the screen, yeah. you're allowed to go weigh in. Okay. 
So Jabani giving us the tech. Pan Am champion Boom. giving us the tech. So um, you go in, you weigh in, and then people are like, oh, yeah. And then, like, can you go hang out with your friends? Like, no. Typically, after you weigh in, you're probably going to fight within the next half hour at the most. At the yeah, most. at the most. Sometimes it's right away. Sometimes you weigh in, go to the mat right now. Jabani Razarch. Yes. Matt too. Matt, oh, Matt Chu. I literally, I just got done taking a shit. Yeah. And I weigh in. I'm dehydrated, like more dehydrated. Oh, you got to go with Matt too right now. Yeah. Right now. You got to go They're right now and weigh in. So, like, people will talk about, like, night before weigh-ins. People talk about morning of weigh-ins. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, specifically, like, IBJF Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has, like, fight weigh-ins. Right? Matt side weigh-ins. Yeah, Matt yeah. side weigh-ins. They might as well have the scale right next to the fucking scorer's table. Oh, man. And even though we're talking about the PTSD this gives us, even though we're talking about the body dysmorphia this gives us, there are some people that say, like, the weigh-in purists that say this is the way it's supposed to be done, right? Yeah. Because there are some people that, like, say, if you threaten people with the idea of Matt side weigh-ins, then they're going to be more discouraged from cutting a drastic amount of weight. Now, there is some um, plausibility to this, right? Because if you fight literally the minute after you weigh in, there's not any time for adequate rehydration. Right. Even if I cut 20 pounds and then I weigh in and then I have to fight right afterwards, but in the middle, like when the MAC coordinator was when, wasn't looking, I chugged a liter of water. It I'm doesn't not, matter. I'm yeah. not going to be able to reabsorb that into my muscles. Yeah, no, it's just might, not going to happen. It takes hours for like hydration inside of your GI tract to actually hydrate your like target. Now, if features. you chug anything, that might have a bad effect on your body. Yeah. They, I mean, I did the, I did the studies. I did the research, right? I did, I did them myself. Um, it takes at least two hours for your body to process a liter of water. Two? God yeah. Damn. So it takes two full hours. Like even if you chug a full 32 ounces, a liter of water right there at the mat side, you're not going to see any effects on your body, right? Uh, for a full two hours. Okay. So, so unless you're, unless there's 80 people in your bracket, it's not going to hydrate you at all before your bracket's over. Is yeah. this like just for water or is it like any liquids at all? So they were mostly like testing like the most like common like solubles. All okay. right. So they were even like testing like hydration packets, but even like the density of the water doesn't really like make a like a huge like impact. Like it, the like. It makes the, you feel better. The, the time was like very different. It was like 10 or 15 minutes, but like it was all around two hours. Okay. So they were like, no matter what you drink, whether it's like a Gatorade, whether it's like um, Pedialyte, whether it's like straight water, it's all going to like be absorbed in your body, body in relatively the same amount of time. And you can get the, the carbs from like a Gatorade or something like that, but the hydration effect is going to be almost entirely like um, not a placebo because you feel it, but it's like, it's just going to make it's going to help you deal with like your dry mouth, but it's not going to make your muscles more lubricated or anything like that. Yeah. So let's talk about like, now I want to start hating on why this is bugged out, right? Hey. This entire system was put in place by the IBJF in order to try to ensure that athletes wouldn't make drastic weight cuts. Yeah. This failed. This didn't work. Big facts. This, did, this just Big did not facts. work. It's like, they were like, yeah, okay, like, what are we going to do about weight cuts? Like, oh, let's just make it mat side weigh-ins so nobody cuts 20 pounds the night before. And I'm like, so what do athletes do? They just fucking do it anyway, right? And then they just start rolling, like, completely, like, sleep sleep and nutrition deprived, like, with their faces sunken in. They they look like, like, genocide survivors, right? Word. And they, they're trying to, like, choke out other people. Like, it just doesn't work. That people are still, no matter what rules you make, whether it's like day before weigh-ins, night before weigh-ins, morning of, mat side, piss test, whatever, they're always going to like find a way to cheat the system. Yeah. And going back to the purists, one of the arguments these purists say is like the reason that there's so much separation in between the weight classes is for that same thing, right? Yeah. To 
uh, deter people from making drastic weight cuts. But that also failed. That is yeah. terrible. Update your fucking weight classes. Yeah. I think one of the, the biggest, if anything, um, pushers for like dramatic weight cuts is this drastic separation between weight classes. Yeah. Because it doesn't necessarily allow like like participation in like um, uh, the sport as well as like other sports do. So like I think wrestling has like weight classes every three weight classes. And honestly, this is my conspiracy. Every three weight classes? I'm sorry, every three uh, okay, pounds. pounds. Yeah. So I this think box is kind of that way too with like the junior and the super stuff. So in my experience, right? Um, or rather, this is my crazy um, uh, conspiracy theory. The only reason why the IBGF has like, I think like nine or 10 weight classes is because it makes for an easier tournament to run. Yeah, when that, you have, that's the same reason why they make you weigh in with the, the uniform. Yeah, it just makes everything easier. They can inspect everything all at once, and they just have less divisions, which means less time, which means less employees, which means less overhead. And less, less free pizza. And this, yeah, yeah yes. less free pizza, more profit, right? So if they had more divisions, let's say they, instead of, because right now it's every 13 pounds, which I think is like every six kilos or something like something that. Something like that. So because it's every 13 pounds, that's a wide weight disparity between one weight class and the other. It's like 141 pounds, then 154, then 168, then 181, and and then it's crazy, right? Yeah. And then it gets even wider once you get up to the up to the top weight classes. Yeah. And this uh, like the, the main reason why some people have to weight cut if they want to train in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is because if they don't, they don't get to compete, right? Yeah, you have let's, to do it. Let's let's take one situation where I was in. I think Jobani can relate to this too, right? Where if you're in between the 141 pound weight class and the 154 pound weight class, now. Really, like, and I'm getting really niche into this, so if our viewers don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. But because you also have to weigh in with the gi, you also have to subtract three to four pounds from each of these individual weight classes, right? Depending on, like, the weight of your belt, depending on the weight of, like, your gi, you're going to have to, like, count count all of this into effect as well. But let's just say you're weighing in naked and they allow you to weigh in naked, right? 141 and 154 pounds. If you are 147 pounds, that's the worst weight to be in. People was <laughs> like, "Don't I don't I want to be right in the middle?" It's like, "No." Nope. No. And he, there's no like actual like place where it's beneficial to be in in either of these weight classes, right? Because if you're right on the money, "Oh, I'm 141 pounds, you still have to cut weight," right? And even if you are 141 pounds and they let you weigh in naked and you don't have to cut weight, now you're fighting against people who are cutting weight. Now you are fighting against people who are 149, 150 pounds, and we're psycho brain. It's like, yeah, I'm going to cut 10 pounds and then fight two minutes afterwards. And I already hear some of them being like, oh, let, why don't you just do no gi so you don't have to weigh in with the gi? You know what IBJJF does? They drop the fucking weight class in yeah. no gi. Like, what? And, and, if drop- and if you're trying to do like a two-day thing where you're going to do gi and no gi, they're on separate days. You have to weigh in separate Both days. Both times. Yes, so sir. if you're trying to do like the same weight class, so like if we were doing for, for me, it would be like middleweight. If I'm doing middleweight, I might only have to be like 178 pounds. I got a really light geese. I could do 178 and make it, but it, then I have to eat no food, and then I have to do no gi 174. So this actually happened to me at a tournament where I used to fight in the life featherweight class, which was 141 pounds. It's 141 pounds in the gi, which yeah. means for my reference, the geese that I wore and my own body, I had to be 137 pounds on the day. But the Nogi weight class is 165 and a half pounds, 135, 136 and a half pounds, right? So this is less than the weight that I walk around at when I'm trying to weigh in in the gi. And also I have to weigh in with my Nogi stuff on, which yeah. also adds like another pound and a half, right? It's less stuff, but it still adds weight. So I had to be 135 pounds. 
I completely forgot about this. It was my first like double header tournament. So I come in at 137. I do the gi bracket. I get bronze. I'm like, okay, great. Now time for my no gi bracket. And you know what happens? I find out that I have to cut two pounds. So <laughs> after you fought, you're after already I fought, tired. Yeah. I already did the tournament and I still have to cut weight. Yeah. So I, I, my friend, shout out to Black Horse who actually told me about this. And it's like, oh, you got to weigh in again? It's like, yeah, I'm fine. And it's like, did you check the, the, um, the new weight limits? And I'm like, new weight huh? limits? What's, what's this guy talking, talking about? about? So I go on the website. I check. I'm like, oh, this guy's right. I'm overweight, even though I just made weight for the other division. This is stupid. Same name, different weights. Same yep. name, different weights, right? Yep. So I have to put his hoodie on because I didn't bring a hoodie. Because it's it's this middle of the summer. Yeah. But shout out to Black Horse D1 wrestler, right? He has experience cutting weight at tournaments, or I'm guessing he does. And it's like, yeah, I just bring a hoodie just in case. So I have to borrow his hoodie. I have to put my gi jacket on, and I have to start sprinting. Yeah. And I have to cut two pounds the day of. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. And this is like not an uncommon experience. Not at all. So much so that some professional athletes, when they do these double headers, they compete at the lower weight class in the gi, and then they compete at the higher weight class in no gi. That's very I, common. I do that all the time. Yeah. So they don't have to cut weight yeah. to make that second weight. Uh, That's second, make that second bracket. That I've really been considering, especially it, it's one thing to torture yourself. Like in your case, it was a one day thing, but the last time I did middleweight, I had to cut down like pretty short notice because like I was bulking and stuff like that for lifting weights, and I was like, well, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do medium heavy." And I realized well, like four weeks out that no one was signed up for middle heavy. Middleweight was the only bracket where I could g- actually get matches, and so like I did the cut and. Not eating, being at that low of a weight, which wasn't that low just in general, but it was low at that time for me. Being at that weight for two days was absolutely fucking miserable. Like having to like, okay, I competed, I did all my matches. This sucks. Everything sucks. Life sucks. I lost my my gi match, and then being like, okay, I still can't eat food though. <laughs> I was gonna watch these other motherfuckers who I'm traveling with eat food and not eat anything for like another like twelve hours was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I don't. These days, I don't do much gi and no gi on the same day, but because in no gi, featherweight's 149, and then lightweight's 162 and a half, usually I'm like 153, 154, I already have to cut down to 149, so if I'm going to do both, yeah, I'm going to go up, because I can't make 154 and a half, right, in the gi, and then make 149, yeah. I'm, I'm already fucking, and then... Uh, the lighter weight classes, which we all compete in, we're usually at the most part, right, when we talk about IBJJF or stuff like that, that's at least three to four matches, right, if you're talking about, like, a, a tournament that has, like, a good number of competitors in your weight class. So you do all that in the gi just to do it again in no gi, but now you got to make weight again, and you're even more dehydrated, more tired, right? And like you said, it takes you hours to, like, process the liquids and the food. So, like, it, it can be a fucking shit show if not done right. Yeah, um... So we, as you can see, weight cutting is not like a exact science or rather the process for weighing in and weight cutting is not an exact science because it really depends on the weigh-in procedures of whatever competition you're trying to do. It depends on the weight classes, it depends on your body type. It, it yeah. depends on the specific weight classes, but also it depends on like the actual like fight procedures, right? right. If, if it's mat side weigh-ins and you're doing um, a fight right afterwards, that's going to dramatically affect like the the effects of the weight cut on your body. Yeah. Um, now I want to talk about um, how to adequately go about weight cutting. In my Don't. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Basically, right? I want to talk about just an, um, an analogy that happened in my real life where we had a competitor who came up to me um, trying to get some expert advice on like the process of like weight cutting, his opinion about his weight cut, and whether or not he should do it. Honestly, and this is to all my listeners out there, 
if you are not thinking about doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a living, you should not be cutting weight, right? The return on it, the return on your investment of time, effort, and just effects on your body is not worth it, right? It, it, it really isn't. Um, there have been so many studies that contribute weight cutting to so many detrimental effects on your body. To whether- death. <laughs> people die like literally they literally die that wasn't like oh i feel like i'm dying motherfuckers actually die from cutting weight so and, and okay that's a great point right when the outcome of weight cutting is death but also the outcome of not making that weight is also death because then you're gonna starve you're not gonna feed your family you're gonna you're gonna lose your house right yeah you have to get a real job you're gonna have to <laughs> that's death right there don't do that oh, <laughs> you have to get a real job you're gonna have to work at 7-eleven right then, of course, like, yeah, the, the choice isn't as, like, um, black and white as I'm making it, right? But for most people that ask me that question, like, oh, I'm five pounds over. Should I cut weight? The answer is no, right? The people who are asking you are blue belts and white belts. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just hobbyists who are like, yeah, my friend is going to do grappling industries in Brooklyn. Should I, I do, do it? it too? Like, no, just don't do it. And we're not saying don't lose weight. Like, obviously, losing weight for health reasons is great. We're talking yeah, about cutting weight yeah, in like, terms of, like... If your A1C is high because you're, like, you know... 30 pounds over maybe where you quote unquote should be and you're like oh I want to lose weight and this will be like a cool thing to like quote unquote force me to lose weight then yeah that's one thing but if you're like pretty lean and vascular or you have no experience losing that weight or you're trying to do it in a quick amount of time don't fucking do it yeah yeah. also a lot of the tournaments that you decide to do especially at the lower belt look, like Ray said if you're not planning to do this like professional if you're not uh, looking to compete regularly, like it's usually not worth the weight cut, right? And I'm not talking. And and if you do decide to, right? Although we're saying we're not to, but you're still like, I'm still go do it. Then consult with people that have the knowledge, right? Like some like Grahalis knows so much about nutrition yeah. and all about the right. fucking wellness. I'm he goes a nutritionist, to, right? So like, if I have a question, obviously you do your research. That's why Google exists, the internet. But like, if you have people in your life that have that knowledge, then go to them, ask them for some advice. If they offer some sort of service, then you know pay for it and ask them right like there are resources out there but to you know go back to Ray's point there's really not a need to cut weight yeah right it, there's an asterisk to like never cut weight you'll die right, right? um if I'm you cutting weight right now <laughs> if you are going to cut weight even if you are a professional jiu-jitsu athlete you must always consult the expert advice of a nutritionist who has experience right with combat athletes Cutting weight because cutting weight is something that's not like particularly like studied upon because it's kind of like detrimental to the human body because they know it's like, bad for you. It's, yeah. it's for the same reason they can't really study the effects of CTE because they can't take a healthy person and slam them in the head with the fucking bat <laughs> and say, "Oh yeah, he's fucked up now." Check out this, these new metrics. You can't do that. Yeah. So you can only find people who are already fucked up and be like, "Yeah, he's fucked up," but maybe it's genetic. I don't know. And just like kind of shrug your shoulders. Yeah. So I, I heard a really like um funny like joke about this um on the Big Bang Theory. Where they're like, Love that show. like, um, it's like, yeah, we should do like a double blind study on like, um, on like traumatized children. It's like, who would be the control group? Like, yeah, <laughs> you can't do that control group, my That's guy. True. That's true. Like, you can't like Where? intentionally like fuck up people for the sake of like trying to like, um, you gotta find out this information. It's really yeah. important. <laughs> like for science, right? Like they 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 like outlawed that at the Geneva Convention, my guy. <laughs> like yeah. you can't do that. That's that's a subtle debate. So, if you're going to wake up, big if asterisk, please don't do it. By the way. You have to have the advice of a nutritionist who hopefully also does a specific sport that you do. Or has or has experience with those types of athletes. Or even has experience doing it themselves. Yeah. Right. Like like I'm I'm a nutritionist, like I got the certification, I have experience making weight. But at the same time, it's like I could help you if you're someone who is already like kind of over the weight you want to be and you just wanna 
get like fairly lean. That's something I could do over like a, the course of a number of months or even a few weeks if it's only a little bit of weight. But at the same time, I'm not someone who's put on like the trash bag and I was in the sauna and I was on the salt yeah. bike and I'm giving Giovanni the look. Like I haven't done that because like I know I'm not supposed to. So I'm just like, I'm not fucking doing it. And I won't ever tell one of my clients to do that. Like I've had clients tell me, oh, I, they're like, this, I'm th this way and I want to be this other way. And I'm like, no, like I won't work with you because that's not healthy. Yeah. yeah. So Pendejo of the Week, Pendejo of the Week goes to um, pretty much everybody who's ever, ever done like a dramatic weight cut, but primarily like Darren let, let Till, me, who went blind from a weight cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, uh, yeah. let me use Patty Pimblet, right? So Pendejo of the Week was just going to go uh, anybody who ever weight cuts ever, right? But <laughs> that's like anybody who's ever competed in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, right? Um, but the, the first ever self participatory of Pendejo of the Week. Right, but it's, it's primarily right? like people who, like, are idolized for these like dramatic weight cuts. And I use Patty Pimlet because he's like the most recent example of like somebody who, outside of their weight cut and outside of their fight cam, looks morbidly obese. He has an eating disorder. Yeah, like he was the guy who I was thinking of when I was talking about some of these people. They completely blow up. Where you'll see him, he's like, oh, a full day of eating after I fight, and he's literally like the. The burger challenge we did, that's how he's eating every single day after he wins. Yeah. And it's, it's not for fun. Like, he's like, he's like, I feel sick. I'm fucking sure. I'm not going to do my Scouse impression. But, like, he's showing how well, he's eating. He's eating, like, 20 fucking donuts. Yeah. And then other shit, too, on top of it in one day. He's doing that, like, every day. Like, five Guinnesses. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe he just stores weight in his face, but he's, yeah. like, not that heavy. It's like, nah, he got pretty heavy. He's, like, literally putting on, like, 20 pounds. Not of, like, glycogen and water and salt. He's yeah. putting on 20 pounds of fat. Yeah, he was, like, like 100. A month. He was, like, 195 pounds, 200 pounds. And there's, like, pictures of him. And, like, people, like, make memes about it in the community where yeah. it's, like, me, like, um, right before the weight cut and then me after the weight cut. Yeah. Or, like, me um, right before I win, after I weigh in. Yeah. But he's the literal meme of weight cutting, yeah. right? Where you look pregnant right before you fight. And then after you fight, you look shredded, minced, diced, and, like... But and, that's that's like the utmost unhealthiest way to do an actual weight cut. And, and it's funny because like the weight he gets up to is not that much higher than a lot of his peers. Like these guys who fight at 155, a lot of them are bigger than me. Yeah. They walk around like in the mid 180s, just like in real life, yeah. and they're lean like 180, like 180 with abs. I, as I remember say. this picture of Eddie Alvarez, who can also be pinned the of the week, right? Who fought at 155, but like 13 hours after the weigh-in, because he hired like six people to like manage his weight, his weight cut. They had him on like chicken, yogurt, salt water. He got up to like 188 pounds. Yeah. 13 hours after the fight. That was crazy. That is wild. If I if I he was fighting him, if I was yeah, he was shredded mid 188. Shredded. If I was fighting him the next day, I'm like, this guy cheated. This is he not cheated. the same guy. He used his twin brother who's also like a yeah. bodybuilder. He used his brother that, you know, wasn't on the Sasul. And yeah. I, I can't fight his brother. No. So but that whole the week goes to everybody who's ever weight cut, right? Yeah, <laughs> so fuck you. If you've <laughs> ever weight cut, I hate you. I hate you. You're doing the whole the week. You're going to get your stamp in the mail, right? So thanks to everybody for listening. This has been episode 28 of the Lag Next Guard podcast. Um, if you want to subscribe, there is still one week before we announce the winner of the show. You will give away. I don't know what that is, but I think it's good. So chingons of the week, you're automatically entered to win the giveaway. We will announce the winner on episode 29. Thank you so much for participating in the giveaway. If you want to participate, all you have to do is subscribe on, on um, patreon.com forward slash LatinXCard podcast. Go subscribe. Please, uh, sub, um, please support our other sponsors of the show. Shout outs to CMB Cafe. Best food in the world. In best. the world. Better shout than out, Paris. Shout Ooh. outs to showyourall.com. Showyourall.com. Right? Show the, show the only geese you will ever catch me wearing. Right? Ever. 
ever. If you see me in another gi, that's, that's, not, not, that's not me. That's his twin brother. That that's is, my doppelganger. Yeah. Okay? That's, that's dark, me dressed up as Ray trying to frame him. That's Dark Ray. <laughs> Darker Ray. Darker Ray. Yeah. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> you said it. I disagreed. Thanks so much. Episode 28 signing off. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.